Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed in this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Hello and welcome to Slamfire. This is episode 128 for October 23rd, 2015. I am one of your hosts, Adriel, the hunting gear guy, Michaud. And I'm another one of your hosts, Matthew, the warning shot McClatchy. And I am the Frillate. Welcome, everybody. Uh, before we get started this week, we just want to take a quick second to remind the listeners that Today is, unfortunately, the one-year anniversary of the Parliament shooting that occurred last year in Ottawa on Parliament Hill, where uh, one of our Canadian servicemen, unfortunately, gave up his life in the line of duty, and um, the uh, gunman was successfully taken down with uh, by the sergeant-at-arms, Kevin Vickers, proving yet again that a, uh, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. It's unfortunate that it happened, but, um, you know, we just want to... Remind everybody of this important date and let everybody know that our thoughts and prayers are with the families of those affected um, by that tragedy. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yes, definitely. Well, it was said anyway. Well, it was said, yes. Yeah. And yeah. It, yeah. So. Awesome. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, just getting into uh, what we did with guns, I'll, uh, I'll start things off. Um, well, I, I reloaded uh, some 9mm. I, I kind of alluded to it last week where we were talking about... Um, Reloading with the Dylan and that kind of thing. I, I I did a real quick and dirty video on uh on my camera phone as well, and uh, and posted it on, on. I think we posted it on Facebook, right? Yeah. Well, I I, I um, shared it on our Facebook page. I really enjoyed yeah. it. It was uh, for something that was quick and dirty. It was very informative and and thorough, and uh, I really enjoyed watching both. Actually, you know, because um, your 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 turret press is set up a little bit more advanced than mine. It's a newer version, mm-hmm. but I really liked watching the square D in action. That's slick. It's fast, right? For pistol. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I had to choose really between a square D and a five fifty. The only advantage I can think of over the 550 is that it'll use universal dies, maybe. Uh, they both have a powder measure. They both, yep. you know, you have to seat the primer, or you have to seat the brass and seat the bullet on both machines. Mm-hmm. But the advantage to the square deal is a smaller, compact package, and it's progressive. Cheaper. And it's cheap. <laughs> yeah, and it's cheap. It's cheap yeah. and it's progressive. Yeah, and, you know, I've got a Pro 1000, but the, the square deal. So there's there's a square deal B. And there's a square deal old version. That's the old version that I have. It's it's not the B the B model, mm-hmm. um, but it's fine. Like it's it's fast enough. Um, and now what's uh, the difference between the two? I couldn't tell you if you threatened my life. I I know that uh, there's there's a, a primer uh, warning system on the B, and oh. uh, I'm not quite sure past then because uh, I mean I I jury rigged up a primer warning system i basically got a plastic rod i marked it when it's empty and now it just kind of sits on top of primers so when it gets down to that red mark i'm uh, i'm out of primers kind of a thing that helps a lot because running dry on primers on this thing is is a uh, something that can introduce a stoppage 
Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't really know. It's, it's probably it. It probably has the upgraded good. primer system. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I don't really know, but it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it cranks it cranks nine millimeter out. Um, now, I, I I tried some of those Dominion Arms primers uh, in it, and uh, um, my buddy shot it through his M M P nine Pro, and he he had a couple of failure to fires just because of how hard the primers are. You do need a, a pistol that really whacks the primers hard, so you wouldn't want to use anything that's got like a reduced uh, hammer spring or anything like that on it. Hmm, that's interesting because when they first came out, that was a complaint was that the primers were too hard. But mm-hmm. then I had heard that um, that had been improved and the, the newer batches that were coming out were slightly softer. But So perhaps he has some old stock, maybe? Maybe. Or you, you it was use... cheap. It was so cheap. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like I... I I'm almost willing to to accept like a two percent, uh, you know, hit it twice kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, and for for primers just b- because of how cheap it is. But uh, okay, so yeah, I reloaded those, um, and and just in preparation for this three gun match that I've got over the weekend, uh, we went to uh, went to an indoor range and and just kind of shot at some different uh, different ranges with the pistol just to get honed in on there. Like with the rifle and shotgun, uh, I'll, I'll practice reloading on the shotgun because that'll really hold me back. But uh, other than that, the other thing that I might trip up on is just like practice on handguns. So I got out and, and fired some lead down range to uh, to get ready for that three-gun match. Um, and then I got a 1,000 uh, PMC in the in the mail. It's always nice when the mailman comes by and there's something that's, that's uh, making them strain and and it's nice and heavy. <laughs> so I know it's for me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, Matthew? I, um, I, let's see now. Huh. I talked to Fred. <laughs> um, so I'm on Facebook. Well, we're all on Facebook. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And Fred Boylan, uh, for those of you who don't know, Fred is uh, an avid gunny. He has uh, been into guns for a lot of his life, and he's uh, very active, or was very active on CGN, and is also a professional photographer. And I don't know if you guys may remember, there was a uh, a Girls and Guns calendar shot at one of the ranges in Ontario a couple of years ago, and Fred was the the photographer for that. So if any of you guys on CGN remember that calendar and remember those pictures, maybe you'll remember who I'm talking about. Anyway, Fred is quite the grouse hunter. And he has been posting pictures of all of his grouse trophies uh, in the last couple of weeks since grouse season opened for him. And uh, he, um, he he hunts with uh, exclusively with uh, 22. And so naturally, anytime he posts pictures of shooting a grouse with a 22, all of my friends, who are also friends with Fred, make fun of me saying, Ha ha, Fred can do it. Why can't you do it, you stupid loser? Um, they're, they're, they're a little nicer than that, but not much. Thinking of you, filthier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They they kept out the, the word stupid, but that that's right. It. That's 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 sort of the premise of what they're <laughs> trying to say. Anyway, filthier. Uh, you guys all remember uh, our clone trooper friend, filthier. He suggested that I talk to Fred, and maybe Fred would share with me some of his secrets on grouse hunting. And so I called him up, and he did. And uh, this is what he had to say. So, um, you've listened to the show before, yeah? Yeah, I've heard it a couple of times. Good. Just wanted to make sure you actually knew who we were. And what, it's like, who's this guy calling me wanting to talk about bird hunting? <laughs> you don't have very good luck, do you? <laughs> I, I make my own luck badly. <laughs> 
you don't see them you don't what um i i don't see them um if i see a bird typically i can get it uh i'm not a bad shot i just i just don't see them so um maybe i'm being too noisy in the woods maybe i'm going at the wrong time of day um maybe i'm going in the wrong i I don't know i don't know what uh what am i doing wrong fred (laughs) well that's a tough call because i'm not exactly sure uh i typically like to hunt 8 a.m to 10 p.m when the sun first starts coming up oh okay um they'll move out of the thick bush where they spent the night undercover and they'll be out on the edge of the trails sunning themselves getting a little bit of heat into their system before and feeding on the trail right yeah what? because birds the, the the grouse they eat gravel right like most birds to help digest is that true uh, they'll put a little bit of gravel in their gizzard to help uh, grind up the foods right uh, once you get one, you can figure out what they're eating, and then you go from there, uh, mountain ashberry or pine needle or whatever, and then head that way with it. Uh, when I when I hunt in the morning, I usually find them on the trail. After 10 o'clock, when the sun is high enough up that the sun is getting through the thick trees, there's no need for them to come out of the bush, so they'll stay in the thicket. Right. So move your hunt off the trails and into the woods. So just because it's 10 o'clock doesn't mean that you can't go bird hunting anymore. You can't You can't just say, oh, it's past 10, the birds won't be on the trail. All you got to do is stop being lazy, get off the trail, and get into the woods a little bit. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. is usually when the sun is just starting to get warm and they've been on the trails and they've been feeding a little bit on the trail area or maybe four feet off to the edge. They'll be sitting either on the ground feeding or just on the lower tree stumps and the lower fallen branches. Their feet are off the ground, but they're still getting the sun. After the right. sun's up for a few hours, they'll move back into the woods and feed or the, or the mountain ash berry or the raspberry bushes or the back end of the brush, and they'll feed there. And they don't have to come out because the sun's in the bush. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's coming straight down through the trees. Cool. So, uh, do you notice a difference in in their pattern with leaves on versus leaves off? Whenever it starts to get cooler and the leaves all fall off the trees, leaves don't leaves start to turn about September here. Um, by by now, middle of October, the leaves are pretty much off. They will not fly as far when there's a full leaves. They'll just do a short, if, if you spook them and they fly up, they don't fly very far. They'll fly maybe 20, 30 feet with all the leaves. With the leaves down, they can probably fly a little bit further, and it's easier to navigate through the woods. Right. So so spooking you, them early in the season when there's lots of trees or lots of leaves, it's still fairly easy to kind of maybe sneak up on them for a second time because you kind of know which way they went. You know they're not that far away. But with the leaves off, they're probably going to be a little further. Well... I usually just try to hunt the trails, the open trails and the open areas and the, the swamp areas uh, from September to the beginning of October. Once they go, like, it's it's really tough to get into the thick with all the leaves and all the branches. And yeah, everything. yeah. Once they've flown, once they've been spooked and they take off, I don't even bother going after them. No? The trail. Sooner or later, that thing is going to come back. I found that the, the when we go out, and if we're walking down a trail and we spook one and we don't get it and it flies, flutters off, we don't even bother chasing it. 
You just let it go, carry on your way, and if if you double back, then maybe he's on the trail on your way back. Exactly, exactly. And and I'd say ninety percent of the time, there. If you remember where you spooked it, you slow down a little bit. You'll hear them. They'll be right there again. Right. They'll come back to where they were. Uh, the only time I don't hunt with a dog, I don't hunt with a four wheeler. It's me, my two feet, and a rifle. I use a twenty two. Uh, yeah, what kind of twenty two do you shoot? Nylon sixty six. I love those. Do you have the uh, the brown stock or the black stock on yours? I have the black, the black and chrome. Cool, very nice. Yeah, I've that that's uh, I've seen pictures of it on on Facebook, and uh, that that's a nice looking rifle. It's and obviously quite accurate. I I saw you bragging about a couple of your shots a little further out there than what maybe some people might even take a shot on a bird with, and you you're nailing them in the head. If you're comfortable with your rifle, a lot of the guys will take their guns to the range and they'll sight them in, and, and that's all bench rest. Yep. That's fine, but get used to shooting standing up. Get used to shooting kneeling because in the bush you don't have a bench rest. <laughs> you don't carry your bench rest with you when you're hunting birds. Yeah, I don't carry a Y stick or anything like that. Oh, maybe i got to stop carrying the bench with me out in the woods. Maybe that's my problem. I still have open sights. I didn't even put a scope <laughs> on it this year. The the rifle I use is a it's a, a Kiapa double badger, so it's a four ten barrel on the bottom and a twenty two barrel on top, and it's got uh, sort of a half half ghost ring slash half peep sight. It's not really a ghost ring. It's not really a peep sight. It's sort of a, a mix right in the happy middle between the two, so you can use the shotgun or the twenty two with with good accuracy on both. Quick enough on the shotgun, but still accurate enough with the twenty two. And I I find it very accurate. If if I can see what I'm shooting at, I can typically hit it. So a lot of rocks and pine cones and tree stumps and, and, and whatnot get hit by me whenever I'm out hunting. But, you know, when, when I can't see the birds, <laughs> there's no way I can hit them until, uh, until I finally spot them. Usually, usually when I'm on the trail, I'll take three steps, three steps and stop. And I'll just take a quick look around me. Uh, if you find that you're walking too, if you're spooking, <clears throat> if you're walking down and all of a sudden he bolts and, and flies off, you spooked it. If you can hear them running in the woods, you've spooked it. Right. So slow down. And I find that walking very slowly, especially if you're hunting by yourself, you get to see more, but you don't spook them as much. They'll move once or twice, and they'll take a couple of steps, but they don't get spooked as much as if you were walking at a regular pace. I think maybe what one of my problems could be is I'm looking to cover ground. I'm I'm worried that there's nothing in the area, and so I want to walk at a fairly moderate pace so that I can cover a lot of ground and increase my chances of actually seeing a bird. But I think that might be counterintuitive. Maybe I need to actually slow down and look around. Maybe they're there. Maybe I'm walking right by them. I hunt the same one-kilometer stretch. It's a kilometer walk both ways, and that's the only thing I hunt. I drive right down to the corner before I where I usually start to hunt, and... Uh, I get out of the truck and we we load the the rifle and uh, as soon as I walk around that one corner, that's where my hunt starts and it takes me a good hour to walk the kilometer and an hour to walk back and I get just as many coming out of the bush as I do going into it. So wow. So do you do any sort of scouting? Do you do you kind of track where the birds are earlier in the season, like before the season starts, or is this sort of where you hunt and that's where you've always hunted and that's where you hunt and that's you know the birds just happen to be there? No, this is. Uh, I recently moved to northwestern Ontario from northeastern Ontario, and this is the first really 
season I've actually had a chance to get out. I was told by a, a friend, well, you can drive down this road, and there's a whole bunch of old logging roads off of it. You can try those. They're pretty good. And I just picked one that looked like the best road, and I walked it. Uh, it's about five kilometers in total, and I walked the entire road once and back, and I've been successful on that whole road, but I found that there's about one kilometer of that whole stretch that every time seems to be consistent with a multitude of birds. And we've got both ruffed and uh, spruce up here. Right. That's the same species we have in New Brunswick. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you prefer one over the other when you're eating them? Not really. Uh, we've cooked them both Thanksgiving dinner. We had uh, two of each. Nice. Um, I, I find the ruffed are a little bit easier to spook. Right. I think the spruce are the... Less intelligent of the. <laughs> that's that's like saying this rock is a little bit less smart than this stick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you're hunting rough grouse and you shoot one, and the other ones take off. The spruce grouse, I find that they just look around and say, "Hey, where did Harry go? <laughs> what happened to Harry?" And they didn't move. Uh, the, the 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 nylon sixty six that I use holds fourteen rounds, and. Uh, <clears throat> Our limit here is five per day and 15 in your possession, and that's not hard to do Right up here, and not at all. Uh, I, I find roughed a little harder to see. They are a little bit more camo, aren't they? The, the spruce being darker are a little bit easier to pick out. And the girlfriend, she likes to hunt too. Um, she, I, I took her out last year for the first time and uh, didn't know whether she, she was into uh, cowboy action shooting. Right. And I didn't know whether she could pull the trigger on something live, but she equates that to his tasty meat. All right. Shoot it. And she managed to get a couple last year, and she's been really uh, enthusiastic this year to get out. Now she's to the point where she spots them before I do. Oh, wow. So. Well, you, know, you need to just bring her along every time. Can I borrow her for a weekend, maybe? Sure. <laughs> she uses a side-by-side 20-gauge. Because that's what she used in her competition shooting, and she's familiar with it. Yep. And I upped her from uh, her number six to a number four shot because the pellet's a little bit larger, a little bit better penetration through the light brush, and it's a direct hit. She's not worried about them flying off. Right, and you don't have that as many pellets to pick out. No, they're easier to find. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still like the 22. It's either a clean hit or a clean miss, and if it hits, you hear it, and I'm not worried about it going anywhere. No, no, they, they're they're pretty easy to to put down. Even even a poor poor placed shot, they're they're not going anywhere. You can finish them off real quick. Yeah, we yeah. do we do pretty good out here. Um, partridges, grouse are. Uh, I'm glad you corrected yourself there. Just yeah. just saying. <laughs> they had a really long season. Uh, we're just getting into our. Fall, beginning of winter now, um, we've had excellent weather, it was an excellent growing season, so all the brush and the berries and the stuff that they fed on <clears throat> uh, was really good this year. They're still eating mountain ash berries, they're still eating grasses. The population was really good this year. Now when we go out, if uh, the girlfriend and I go out, I basically take a rifle and do some scouting and let her do the shooting. Because right. I've got... I've got my fair share. I'd, I'd rather see her get into it. And yeah, it looks like you got my fair share, too. I'm just saying. <laughs> I try. <laughs> so it sounds to me like I'm going too late. I, I usually, I, I'm, 
I don't like to get up early. So I need to start to get up a little earlier and get out there when the sun is still low on the horizon so the birds are on the trail. And then I need to make sure that I'm in their habitat. So find the foods that they eat. And then I just need to walk a little bit more slowly. So slow down a little bit, look around, be a bit more observant, and maybe pick them up before they spook because I, I've spooked lots of birds. I mean, uh, that's that's typically not a problem for me. I usually come back from every hunt having at least seen or heard a couple. So I just need to slow down a little bit, be, be a bit more confident in the fact that there are birds where I think there might be and not worry so much about covering ground. And, and you know, maybe maybe that'll help me be a little bit more successful. Yeah, especially this time of year uh, with the cool nights and the warm days. Um, they're a little chilled in the night and they come out and they sun. Right. The and if it's an overcast day, they're still going to feed. They still got to eat. They still got to drink. They still got to do whatever birds do when it's overcast. They're still active. On the really warm summer days, they are, uh, spring, uh, fall days, they're more uh, active. So, yeah, you're going to probably put them up. They're going to fly, fly a little bit further. They're going to be a little more adventurous. They're going to be further out on the trails and in the open. But today it was the ice rain and pellets and everything else. And everything. Yeah, that's what we're getting tomorrow. You're sending it our way. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you're welcome. I, if, if, you don't, if you won't stand outside in this weather, don't bother going hunting for bird in it because they're going to hunker down underneath the evergreens and they're not going to move unless they absolutely have to. That's right, yeah. Yeah, um, no, tomorrow's not supposed to be very nice, but Saturday is actually looking really nice right now, so I think maybe I'll set the alarm, get up early, and uh, hit a couple of trails that I know, and yeah, cross my fingers, see what happens. Good, good. You going for deer this year, too? Uh, no, I didn't get my deer tag this year. Um, just nobody to hunt with. I haven't hunt, uh, hunted deer before, so I, I don't want to do it by myself for the first time. So when I find a good hunting buddy who's hunted deer before, I'll, uh, I'll get a tag and go along with somebody else, figure out how to do it all under a mentor sort of thing, and then, uh, and then go from there. Good. So how about you? Are you going for deer this year? Absolutely. We'll be heading down to the uh, Thunder Bay area. Uh, this will be her first time going deer hunting. She wants to take her dad's 36 rifle that she inherited. I like uh, how you said going down to the Thunder Bay area. Where is yeah. it that you live? <laughs> Three hours northeast of Thunder Bay, two hours northwest of Hearst. Yeah, we're in the middle of northwestern Ontario. Nice. That It must be beautiful country up there. Rocks and trees. Yep, nice and rugged. Rocks and trees. And, and if you love to fish and you love to hunt, this is the area. Uh, ten months of winter and two months of kind of rough snowmobiling. <laughs> yep, That. yeah, <laughs> understood. Well, Fred, it's been absolutely a blast talking with you, and, and I thank you so much for the, the hints and tips you've given me on the bird hunting. Um, I'll, I'll be reporting back on the show in the you know, upcoming weeks as, uh, as I get out hunting, and hopefully, hopefully I'm finally successful. Excellent. I hope you are, too. Well, I just want to thank uh, Fred again for, for talking to me and giving me some pointers. So hopefully... Next week, I will be back with a success story. So one can only hope. We'll see what happens. Um, so I guess uh, I guess we'll move this on to Trevor. What did uh, what did you get up to this week, man? I did a little gun swapping. Um, well, it's the uh, that, that's not that's what, what what's that? That's when you trade one firearm for another one. Just straight you put, up. You put the keys for the for the trigger locks all into one fishbowl, and then you come out and you check which keys match which locks, right? I like that. That's a great idea. 
great idea. Um, you got to make sure that everybody brings an equal firearm to that party, though. You know, if somebody shows up with a high point, you don't want to get stuck with that, right? No. So, yeah, no, I, um, I had an opportunity to grab a SIG P320. Uh, last year when I went on my uh, shopping spree and bought a pretty much a striker-fired handgun per month. The SIG P320 was one of the ones that I picked up and was really taken with um, almost as much as the FN. By far, all the guns I bought last year, the FN, FNS 9mm, because of the ergonomics, the reliability, the accuracy, the trigger, everything is surpassed all other striker-fired guns I have, including my Glocks. Um, but after that, you know, this SIG is... It was really one that I really enjoyed. Unfortunately, I sold it to raise some quick cash to get my Model 29-2. And I knew that I would replace it at some point. And I had the opportunity to um, trade my NEA 39. Um, so I stripped it basically and traded the uh, NEA 39 for the SIG P320, which came with six mags, two holsters, uh, the original paddle holster, a Comtac holster, which is super adjustable. You can go paddle on it or belt two SIG paddle mag pouches and a uh, Pelican case, which thankfully did not come with an R51. Um, so that was important. Why, why did you, why did you trade away your NEA 39? I thought you loved that thing. Um, I do. Uh, but I, the ammo that I was using, which I also loved, the Dominion Arms stuff that Canon Ammo is having made. It's, you know, non-corrosive lead core, jacket hollow point, 250, 1,000. It just wouldn't run in the mags. The mags are fine with lacquered ammo. If you get surplus lacquered ammo, no problem. You can put all 10 rounds in the LAR mag or the XCR mag, and, and it runs the very best. But uh, the, the mags were, the ammo was binding in the mag and caused there was so much friction there that the follower just wasn't lifting it up. And I just thought, eh, heck with it. I've got, you know, got enough ARs. Uh, I don't, I don't need this one anymore. I get my SIG P320 back, so that happened. Huh. All right then. Yeah. Well, that's a good I mean, enough reason, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, I made it like a bandit. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I concur. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, and I mean, the uh, I got a deal on the upper. The lower was on sale from SFRC for sixty nine dollars. Uh, put a hundred dollar lower parts kit in it, stripped off the mag pull, and uh, it had a rear sight. Didn't even have a front sight. No optic. Took off the bad lever, and that was that. Yeah. So yeah. good deal. Yeah, yeah, really good deal. So uh, I did throw in all the ammo with it though. So there's that. But when you consider how much I paid to build that rifle, yeah, whatever. It's all good. Uh, and then I went to the range on Sunday and, and shot it. And it actually seems to shoot better than my, uh, my 320 did. My 320 seemed to have, um, a six o'clock hold. The point of, point of aim and point of impact weren't exactly the same. Like if you wanted to hit the center of the target, you had to hold the front sight directly underneath the center of the target. This one doesn't seem to be, uh, to be the same. If you hold in the middle, it tends to group more point of aim and point of impact than the other one did. So. What else did I do? I also I picked up another gun. This one is actually not mine, but I am going to be storing it here at my house for a uh, college student. It's a young man I know who went off to college, and his parents weren't comfortable with him leaving his handgun at home. So he contacted the CFO's office and basically changed the address where the gun would be stored. They sent me an ATT to go pick it up, and um, 
yeah, I went to pick it up. So now I have a CZ-75 SPO-1 Shadow that he says that I can shoot as much as I want. <laughs> so, I don't think he realizes how much I shoot. I don't think he does either. <laughs> I think he made a poor decision in that regard. The good news is when he gets it back, it will be broken in. Oh, broken in, all right. Broken in. <laughs> no, it was no, You probably <laughs> won't break it. I oiled it tonight just before the show because it was dry as a bone. Yeah. Um, he mentioned that one of the magazines will only hold nine rounds. So I thought, hmm, maybe the follower needs to be trimmed or something. If you've not taken apart a CZ Shadow, I recommend a magazine. I recommend that you don't. <laughs> it was the most frustrating experience I've ever had trying to reassemble it. And um, the base, it, the the magazine tube is basically cut short. And there's no plug, there's no pin. They just have a short mag body that's dimpled and a large plastic base pad. Mm-hmm. And there's a little plate inside with uh, a dimple on it that lines up onto, into a hole in the base pad. Well, it just wouldn't line up. Wouldn't line up, wouldn't line up. Right. Oh, God. Pain in the butt. So, anyway, uh, his mag still holds nine rounds, and I don't care. <laughs> I was will it, not. Was it the follower? I don't know. Uh, I got it. Uh, you know, I took one apart and uh, looked at it, and then just, you know, just bored just watching TV. And I'll throw it back together, and then I'll take it apart again and go downstairs and trim it. And when I realized how difficult it was to put it back together, maybe I should take another one apart just to make sure. That I've that I'm reassembling it correctly. I'll disassemble another one really slowly, really <laughs> carefully, paying close attention to the orientation of the parts. Guess what? I had two magazines I couldn't get back to. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he listens, and I hope he's freaking out oh, right now. Man, live it. No, I don't think he does. Oh, okay. Well, you're fine so, then. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. Just throw those two out. He probably didn't give them to you anyway. Oh no, they're they're yeah, that's right. What, what are you talking about? Three mags. No, I, I finally got them back together, and that's how they're going to stay. Yeah, it's weird so. that they'd be like that on the CZ. Like, uh, um, they're like on that the on what? the MMPs, on, right? On the what? Oh, CZ. Thank you. Carry on. <clears throat> uh, on the MMP nine, I, I found the same thing. They they make them to fit like nine point eight rounds. You can get that tenth round in, but oh my, it's it's ridiculous so you do have yeah. to trim i i've had to trim the follower on all of my magazines except yeah. uh my buddy had one of the old uh glossy steel ones that uh that are a little bit different and we didn't have to trim it on that that one fit 10 no problem but ever yeah. all the other ones i've had to trim because they're just ridiculous getting that 10th round in so greg if you're listening right now that's the follower you trim the f- Follower, I just happen to know a listener that trimmed his spring. Oh. <laughs> you see the reactions, Greg? Uh, that's funny. Yeah, don't, don't cut Greg the spring. Does. Don't cut the spring. No, no. you need no. the spring. Trim the follower. So, but you know what? I don't think he's having any malfunctions. So whatever. Maybe oh, yeah, his springs funny. will wear out a little bit sooner, but not yeah. a big deal. But no. I mean, he's left-handed. And springs anyway. are cheap too. So yeah, spring and, and he's left-handed, so it doesn't much matter what he does, right? Oh yeah, you're right. He's, he's wrong yeah. right from the yeah. right from the get-go. <laughs> Harold was arrowing him once, and Harold would walk up and he'd be like, "You're still left-handed. You were left-handed <laughs> three stages ago. You have to, you know, sort this out." So, um, and then finally, I took a new shooter to the range. This is an old friend from high school who wants to get into hunting. Um, she's First Nations wants to start hunting, wants to go moose hunting, um, single, so, you know, doesn't uh, 
<laughs> this is sounding awful. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. No, carry on though. No, keep <laughs> yeah. digging. No, no, dig up. Dig up, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, she wanted to learn how to how to shoot because she wants to get into hunting. So, but she's absolutely petrified. So we went out uh, on rifle night and took my two two three, my Thompson Venture Predator, and let her shoot that off of the bench, and then let her shoot it standing. And um, yeah, now she's over that fear. And then I also had my FN FNS there, and discovered that uh, eventually it would have to be cleaned because it started to get. Um, pretty consistently failures to feed and uh, also it wasn't locking back on an empty mag and I couldn't determine if that was the way she was holding the gun or if that was also um, a feature of a dirty gun. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> it's like stroking or something like that. Well, I don't know if she was limp wristing it or what or, or, or riding for as far as the malfunction, she could have been limp wristing. Um, but it happened after almost a hundred rounds and the gun hadn't been cleaned all summer and it went through the Tommy class and went through the Daniel Shaw class and it went through the three gun match and the IDPA match. So, and I didn't clean it. I think I cleaned it once since I bought it. So it was time to start choking, but now I know that it'll go, you know, well over a thousand rounds before needing to be cleaned. And, um, but as far as not locking open an empty magazine, I suspect that perhaps, and she had an excellent textbook grip right out of the box. You know, it was it was awesome. So I don't know if she was, because she had such a nice high grip on the gun, I don't know if she was manipulating the slide lock or not. But Yeah, anyway. that's probably probably what it was. That's uh, a very common thing to do. Yeah, I just should have got her to shoot it with one hand. Yeah. With one bullet in the mag and see what happens. And No, it went really well. We You know, baby steps, I started it off with one bullet in the magazine and, you know, then two bullets in the magazine and, and so on, and uh, so yeah. So hopefully, I'll uh, someday get to accompany her on a moose hunt. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that'd be cool. Yeah, it would be for sure. So I'm not sure about the legalities of that, but uh, I'll be sure to look into it before I go on any kind of moose hunt. So yeah, that's it for me, gentlemen. Cool. Awesome. Well, on to uh, upcoming events. Uh, I'll take the first one here. The uh, 6th Annual Charity Shoot in Support of Soldier On will take place on June 25th in Kingston, Ontario at the Brockville District Fish and Game Club. If you're interested, then contact New Shooter Canada or check out the event's Facebook page. Trevor, this is your baby, so do you want to take the next one? Uh, SummerSlam sold out. Cool. How do you like that? Yeah. We, um, we opened up the registration for SummerSlam on September 20th, and by October 21st, we had 150 people registered. Wow. And actually, now we have a wait list. Uh, as of today, there are eight people on it. Now, it's unfortunate. Some people were mailing in the registrations, which in this virtual digital age, it's never really a good idea because, you know, the early bird gets the worm. Yep. So I know that there are registrations that have been in the mail, but it's too late. When they get here, they're already going to be on a wait list. Uh, so I feel bad about that. But there's really nothing I can do. There really isn't. Nope. Yeah. And, uh, it's, you know, some people are really adamant they want to get in. Um, what do you mean you're sold out? Your website says there's 35 spots left. I, I'm sorry, I don't update our website. You know, I literally, uh, it started Monday. Was it Monday? Well, the election was Monday? Yeah, sure. No. Yeah, the election was Monday. Okay. Yeah, so um, I got to work on Monday and there were some registrations that came in over the morning. So, you know, at lunchtime and on my break, I started to process them and I 
was I left work, I got home, I processed a couple, and then I had supper. And from 6 o'clock until I went to bed at 11, I processed registrations and nonstop until the next morning. And just one after the other, <laughs> they just kept coming in. It's like when I, when I posted, there was, yeah, once we posted, there was about 30 spots left. People panicked, and the registrations just came flooding in um, to the point where I had to be very careful um, looking at, okay, where's my cutoff going to be, and are these next few people going to be on the wait list? I looked at, like, when the email arrived, you know, to make sure that somebody, whoever's email got in first, got processed first, et cetera. So, anyway, yep, so we're sold out, and there is there is a wait list, and... Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. We got a new bay built at the range. It didn't come out as big as I wanted, but um, I'm thinking there'll be another. I was going to incorporate the tank. We've got this full size. Uh, Adriel, I don't know if you've seen any videos from the matches at our range. but I just saw that X-Metal one that, uh, that you guys posted, okay. and, yeah. and um, I'm super jealous. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a full-size mock-up of a leopard tank. And that was built for the Canadian Nationals in 2013. And it's not been out since, I don't think. Um, so we're going to uh, incorporate that into SummerSlam this year. Uh, Luke, uh, Bang My Switch, Bang Switch Boutique Luke actually designed a stage really quick and dirty the other day that looks like I should, I, mean, I might steal it to be perfectly honest. Like, I don't know what to do with the tank. So within a minute of me saying I don't know what to do with the tank, he downloads this 3D software called SketchUp or SketchIt or Sketchy. I don't know. Anyway, he downloads that and designs a stage and then saves it as a PDF and sends it over to me. <laughs> you want a job, Luke? <laughs> pretty awesome. So, so anyway, that's our SummerSlam update. We're, uh, we're sold out, kids. So since you're sold out so early on in the year, have you guys thought about um, like what what would it no. take to add on Stop. capacity? Stop! <laughs> Stop! You, uh, we have 15 squads and 18 stages, right? Oh man! In theory, I could start a squad per stage, but that would create such a bottleneck. Some of my bays have two stages per bay, so if I put squad one in bay one. That means they shoot stages one and two, and then I won't start anybody on stage three. I'll start the squad two on stage four, and I'll try and keep a stage between the squads as much as possible to avoid bottlenecks as much as possible. But bottlenecks are inevitable because one squad is going to shoot faster than another one. So if you've got a squad that's shooting slow, a squad that's shooting fast, eventually they're going to get to a spot where they have to wait. And then the what people always seem to forget we didn't have any problems with this last year matthew i think we did a really good job of not allowing squads to jump ahead right so it's like i'm supposed to shoot stage seven now but i see stage eight is empty can i jump over there to stage eight and every time you allow that the squad who's supposed to shoot stage eight shows up yep and now now they're waiting and then the next squad shows up and it just creates a ripple effect so you can't really um unless you're going to split the match up so that it's like half the squads shoot one day and the other half shoots the other day, then it's hard to really, like if you have like like nationals, I think we did that. You shot like in the morning on day one and the afternoon on day two and then went like that so you could get more people through the match. But um, 
we we just we can't accommodate it. We don't have the personnel. We don't have the time. You know, I mean, or the bays. Uh, it sounds like. Well, we've got we've got lots of bays, especially now we just built one, but just probably not enough to do it without moving the stay moving the match over three days or something. Which my stats person would love to see. She would love to see it over three days, um, because she just with all with 150 shooters, she'll work nonstop. You know, trying to get the stats done so that they're ready to be posted when the match is over. Um, she's going to need an extra. So she's going to need some extra help this year because last year, like the range master, will go in there and try and help her as much as he can. But if we're having um, calls to stages where somebody has a question about a procedure, or a question about a start position, or a question about is that target actually disappearing, or can we get a reshoot because its popper needs to be calibrated, stuff like that. So the more the, the the busier the match is, the more the range master is out and not helping her. And I mean, that's the range master's got to be in three places at once often. I know as match director last year, on the first day, I was in three places at once often. It doesn't matter how many different people you get to look at a stage or look at something when when the shooters arrive on your on your range and start competing in the match they inevitably always see something that you missed mm-hmm. you know you think you, you've shot the pre-match and then you can't change anything you think you've worked out all the kinks you think you've got everything buttoned up tight and um, I'll give you an example we had a popper that they were saying wasn't falling correctly so uh, this is during the pre-match, and they were concerned, and should we change it? I'm like, look, there's nothing wrong with that popper. I'm, t- I'm, I'm, I'm pig-headed. I'm cocky. There's nothing wrong with that popper. Come with me. So I get the range. Okay. Jason, can I borrow your gun? I wasn't even, I wasn't shooting. I was done or whatever. I didn't have a gun on me, or I had a 40 on me. So I needed a 9mm, and I needed 124 grain ammo. So I'm like, Burns, can I borrow your gun? Yep. So I take his gun. Never shot it before. I walk up to the position where you shoot the popper, and I take... Like just real quick, snappy, bang, the popper falls, and I point the gun at the other popper, and I look at the range master, and I pull the trigger, and I drop the other popper while looking at the range master. Uh, you see, there's nothing wrong with these poppers. I just shot it, one shot, in the belt, somebody else's gun, it fell, and I shot the other one while looking at you in the eye. There's nothing wrong with these poppers. You guys are just sucking. You can't shoot. Off I go, All right? Well, guess what? During the match, reset. Reset, 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 calibration, reset. The popper was damaged and continued to be damaged, and we had to swap the popper out in the middle of the match. I just would have let my range master swap it out during the pre-shoot. We could have avoided multiple reshoots on that stage. And I was just being too cocky. I went, look, I can knock it down. What's wrong with you guys? And so uh, to summarize, you'd, you'd say that SummerSlam 10 is uh, sold out? <laughs> <laughs> You, Adriel. Well, there's an edit point. (laughs) That's hilarious. Carry on. (laughs) Uh, You want to cut a whole bunch of that? Because he's right. There was a whole pile of nothing there. You kidding me? That's hilarious. I don't even know where you started. All right. Matthew, you can take the next one. All right, it's my turn. So there's going to be a Handgun Fundamentals 1 course in uh, St. Paul, Alberta, August 6, 2016. Can I stop? Sorry, Matthew, have you looked into this St. Paul, Alberta place? You haven't, have you? No. Matthew, we're going to a place 
going to a place that actually has a UFO landing pad. That's the kind of place St. Paul is. These people have a UFO landing pad. So bring tinfoil is what you're saying. Clearly. All right. Or, no, you know what? I think they give you tinfoil when you get into when town. When you get there. Here is your tinfoil roll. If you don't use it all, give it back on the way out. Yep. They this doesn't... Con- they give you, even give you instructions on how to make your own hat. You're not concerned by this, Matthew? You're not going like, what? They got a what? What are you talking about? You You're mean you don't up. have a UFO landing pad at your place? I need you to Google this later, and then we'll talk. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> well, if you go one town over, you can get to the, the giant pierogi, and a couple towns okay. over, they got a giant... You know what? Pierogies exist. Here in, here in Nakawick, New Brunswick, we have a giant axe. Axes exist, right? You don't need to be building UFO landing pads. Just saying. This is not Roswell, New Mexico. I saw a UFO once. Yep, yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> lots of things I couldn't identify and later found out they were satellites. No, no, no. This is a real... Anyway, that's a, oh, it's a story yeah. for another time. Right, I, I, it is, I won't carry on for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you too. <laughs> so, um, the, the cost is $200 a person. There are Summer 15... sold out, by the way. There are 15 spots available and... Uh, it's going to be taught by Trevor and myself, and uh, Adriel will be there as our range monkey, I believe. Is that range correct? Rat. Ra- range rat, yeah. Range rat. Oh, he's been downgraded. Not a range monkey, a range rat. I suppose R and R, you know, alliteration, all that stuff. Whatever. So anyway, this is uh, this is you know we're we're hoping that this happens, and we just need you to to send us an email, let us know that you're in, and then when we have enough people saying that yes, they're in, we'll just get you all to send your money. We'll buy our plane tickets, and then it'll be a hundred percent guaranteed going to happen. So um, we're not looking to make any money on this. We just want our our flights covered there and back because we don't live in St. Paul. Apparently, because we don't have our own UFO landing spot, so yeah. I don't know knew? why you guys need uh, need flight tickets. Just uh, just land on, just take your UFO to the landing pad. That's what but, it's there for. Why don't we just get a UFO? Yeah, there we go. Gosh, why didn't I think of that? It's great Impractical. Idea. Uh, what are you gonna do? Yeah, um, I'll take the next one here. Uh, this one's from Jason Philp. Uh, some sort of shotgun event called Foreign Invasion 2016 in Coyote Springs. Tuxin AZ. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think that's, yep. I think that's how it. it's called. Yep. Nailed it. Yep. Uh, January 28th to 30th, a total of 500 targets. Awesome. Uh, go to coyotespringsclays.com. Very nice. That would be fun if I lived in Tuxin. Yeah. 500 targets, man. That's a lot of shotgun shells. Yeah, it is. That's a heck of a bruised shoulder in the morning. So many skeets. No, oh, skeets are <laughs> awesome. So many seats. Uh, on to news. Um, Trevor, did you want to take this one? Um, sure. Today in, um, oh, where were we here? Uh, okay, I'll just, uh, a masked man armed with a sword has killed a pupil and a teacher in a school in Sweden. Two further victims, a pupil and a teacher, are seriously injured. The attacker was shot by police and has died of his injuries. He was 21 and a resident of Trollhattan. I guess, police said. The king of Sweden says that Sweden is in shock. Eyewitnesses described the chaos at school with hundreds of students fleeing from the building, screaming. I find this very interesting that the students were fleeing from the building. Over here in North America, we've adopted a, um, for the most part, some jurisdictions are moving away from this model and in favor of other things. Uh, but in Canada, we're, we've trained our kids to go into lockdown which there's a lot of debate as to 
whether or not it's effective. I, I actually, because I'm an employee of a district, I can't say anything about our policies or procedures that could be construed as criticizing my employer, which my contract says I'm not allowed to do. But, um, yeah, so they were fleeing. So that leads me to believe that uh, either they don't do lockdown or they were trained to do, to, to you know, to leave. Um, so it's interesting. Um, I guess we're not going to go through the whole thing. Um, but uh, basically today in Sweden, right, some guy goes into a school. There's actually a picture of him posing in the hallway with students with his sword and his mask and everything before he started his attack. So, so he went in, everybody just thought it was a joke at first, and he started slicing and dicing. Yeah, a teacher confronted him and said, okay, you're starting to scare the kids. As you can go now. And he stabbed that, that first teacher with a knife and then uh, and then carried on about his uh, business attacking with the sword huh. and was uh, shot and killed by police. So, you know, don't bring a sword to a gunfight. I guess not. You know, it just, we, we threw this in because we once again want to beat a dead horse and remind everyone you can't stop crazy. And, you know, if somebody is bent on harming people, they don't need a gun to do it. And they won't let the fact that they don't have access to a gun stop them. Just like someone who's suicidal will commit suicide, whether they have a gun or not, they're going to find a way to commit suicide if they are truly suicidal. Well, someone who's truly homicidal will act out on those... uh on those uh, urges, whether they have a gun or not. So, you know, are they going to blame the sword? Probably not. You know, they'll blame him. But if it was a gun, you know, we'd be screaming for gun control. You might be surprised on the the blaming the sword thing because I've seen, uh, oh, have you guys seen the clip of the, uh, oh, I'll have to put it in the show notes or something like that, uh, of the Australian guy who... Uh, goes in and buys a knife and is all like worried about it, has it in a bag as he's walking out of the store and has, has an article on that, like just that and how worried he was and how sick he thinks it is that he could buy a knife. Wow. Well, you're right. No, you're right. And that's where they're going to next, right? Like, I mean, in 95, the liberals made guns a dirty word, right? They made it a crime to own a gun. Ownership of a firearm in this country is illegal. And they, uh, they did a good job of making everybody feel guilty for owning guns. Well, in, in England, you can't own a sword, and you can't carry a pocket knife of any length. So it's what comes next after they get rid of the guns, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure if it's a state in Australia. I'll have to look up my link, but uh, there's one area where you can't buy plastic knives without ID saying that you're over 18. You, you can't, Monsters. like... You can't outfit yourself for camping or, or for a picnic <laughs> unless you're 18 and you have a license for it. Oh, man. And, you know, it's so funny because Canada for years was, you know, thought of as rugged, right? We were we were built on the fur trade and logging and, uh, you know, we weren't we – were, we were built in the forest and we were known to be an outdoorsy type of people. Well, Australia – used to have the same kind of image of, you know, the outback and the rough and ready working Australian who was into hunting and fishing. And, and now they're completely, they're making the same things happening in Australia that happened to us and, and again, quickly and worse where you don't think of Australia anymore as being an outdoorsy kind of country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe uh, maybe just on the topic of outdoorsy, did you guys want to head and all head on into the main topic? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Well, I think um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pumped for this month's topic or this month's this week. Yeah, no, topic. Th- we only have a topic a month <laughs> from now every, on. It's a new policy. Every other it's, week, it's because just... Trevor talks so long about SummerSlam, we have to cut down our t- main topics. <laughs> well, that, last week we didn't we didn't go with a topic. Just so many so many uh, listening yeah, feedback we... emails, and I'm sure that was time. Trevor's fault too somehow. And we barely got time this week because of- <laughs> <laughs> we got lots of time. What are we talking about this year? Okay, let's this year. This year, let's talk about uh, whitetail hunting. Every year, we can talk about it. I mean, uh, heading on into uh, to November here, at least in in Alberta here, November first is kind of like when when we start with the the main season. Um, but I know a lot of other uh, areas have already started, um, and uh, I'm pumped for it. I've already been out uh, bow hunting for whitetail, and uh, and now heading into it, we're gonna we're gonna start rifle hunting here as well. Now, um, it, around your guys' area, uh, I know that there aren't that many whitetail. How far do you guys have to go before you you can they're in general season and and you don't need to get a draw for them? Oh, Matthew doesn't have to go as far as I do. Um, Matthew, isn't there? part of your zone that's open or yep. yeah right yeah our, our zone's open it's just a, a shortened season where we live it's not right, completely okay. closed like yours but ours is shortened if i drive an hour i'm i'm into regular season again right and so in most places in new brunswick adriel if you bow hunt you get october and november if you um, rifle hunt it starts this weekend doesn't it matthew i'm not sure i don't have my book in front of me uh but i think one? you're right yeah, so you get three weeks early if you're a bow hunter, and that's in the southern part of the province. Now, my zone has been closed to hunting since 1993. I turned 18, I bought my first deer license, and haven't been able to hunt in this zone since. And they, mm-hmm. uh, when you ask the wildlife biologist in charge of the deer herd for the province, he, he says it's a combination of um, overhunting slash poaching, hard successive winters, and closing it a couple of years too late. If they had closed it perhaps two to three years sooner, it may in fact be open today. Uh, our neighboring zone in the uh, Bathurst Shalore area was closed for a period of time and has since reopened. Okay. So, yeah. yeah for, for bow hunting, we can start uh, September, like right in September, and go all the way through October, and then November's rifle season pretty much the whole month. But you go up north, and uh, because the, the north of Alberta is super rugged, it's super in the middle of nowhere, there's more deer than people. Um, there, their seasons are a little bit more permissive, and they've got a little bit more room for it. Mm-hmm. So what's your preferred method? Now, are you strictly... Now, I mean, no, you, you, you do both. You, you were out earlier with your bow and would have taken the right deer had it shown itself, but you're not strictly bow hunting. You're going to go out rifle later on, correct? Correct, and and that license is is used for both. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste it on uh, like I'm not I'm not really hard up for deer meat. I've still got some from last year, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm not uh, I'm not feeling the urge to to just pull a string on on any old deer right now. But once it heads into rifle season, and let's say I've got three days left, then I'll uh, then I won't be as picky. But. Why don't we talk about the most popular methods for? for hunting deer um i'll throw the three that i think and maybe if you guys you know agree or disagree or throw in one mm-hmm. um in this area at least there's you know uh, call it spot and stock you know basically tramping walking through the woods finding a deer trail trying to follow that deer trail uh spot a deer while walking shoot it that way there are other people that simply drive around and watch the fields watch the fields watch the fields 
you know, they, they park their truck near a field where the deer may be crossing to get to a bedding area or food. And, uh, they'll just scatter the truck and shoot them that way. And then there's my preferred method, which is tree stand hunting or blind hunting. Uh, there another method out there that you guys can think of that I may have missed. That's maybe more popular than those. No, no I those like ones seem to be the, the, the big ones. Yeah, I like uh, I like blind hunting myself as well. Like spot and stalk sometimes, but uh, like deer are wild animals, and their their senses are pretty good. So like us, mm-hmm. us yeah, I think clumsy definitely. humans, we you know we're we're not quite as uh, as stealthy as we think we are. And clumsy, and, uh, smelly humans. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so so why don't we talk about that? Why don't we talk about um, preparation? You know. Um, what do you, what do you do to prepare for your hunt? How do you, uh, how do you, how do you go about preparing? Well, um, preparation for me starts, um, a couple of months before hunting season. And that's when I'll set up, uh, some game cams on the, on the, on the land where I want to hunt. And that's just to see if the, the deer are, and the right deer are on the land or not. Um, if there's does and there's not a buck, that's fine because it, where there's does, you know, the bucks will come kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm definitely looking to see if, if there are animals on the land. And ideally, you, what you can do is get a whole bunch of cheap uh, game cams, throw them out everywhere, and uh, and see where they're at and which trails they're using. Because uh, some trails look really good, and then they turn out to be a cow trail <laughs> or something silly, and they're not actually used by the deer. They're just used by domestic animals or something else, right? Mm. So for let's talk about deer trails for a second here for the listeners that may not know like deer actually beat down paths that they use on a regular basis throughout the woods. Now how do you know it's a deer trail? Well, you look for sign. Is there deer scat? Um where are the browse being eaten? Deer will eat along the way in the trail and I mean they're not going to eat at the same height that a moose is going to eat at. If a moose is using the trail, you'll see all the buds on the trees chewed up much higher. Um Male bucks are also going to rub their antlers on trees. The velvet comes off, and they're rubbing their antlers on the trees and sharpening their their antlers. And where that rubbing is occurring, you know, you got to you can see when a buck has really been aggressive, and he's marked like every second or third tree in some places. Those are the things you want to look for. You want to know what you're looking for when you're trying to determine whether or not there are deer in the area. So, are they pooping? Are they eating? Are they rubbing their antlers? And then there's scrapes. A scrape is when a deer, you know, takes his hoof and he scrapes a spot on the ground and then he'll, uh, uh, he'll urinate in it. A doe will urinate in it. Um, when you're hunting, you can make mock scrapes. You can scrape up the ground and pour deer urine on it and see if that attracts a buck. It's all kinds of different, uh, ways. So, you know, yeah. if you don't see deer sign on a deer trail, it may not be a deer trail. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I like to use, uh, cameras not only, f- um, to see if they're using it, but, um, I've got, mule deer and white-tailed deer both inhabiting the space where I hunt and uh, you know mule deer on draw so I can't I usually don't have a a license for them so I'm going for the white tail Uh, and I want to make sure that the rub and this happened to me uh, two years ago there was a really nice rub that I saw and I was like yes you know because you see you see a rub you set up your uh, your blind near there. You rattle them in. No problem. This like it's easiest thing ever because a rub generally means that they're using that area, and uh, and they'll aggressively defend it if they hear that the like a, a horns rattling or uh, or other kind of activity like that. And um, anyways, I I saw this rub and I was pumped to see it. I put up a camera. I 
check back in a week, and it was just a mule deer's. And only mule deer <laughs> were using that spot. So even though it looked really great, I couldn't do anything about it, and I had to uh, pick up and, uh, and and select a different spot. Hmm. So now, are you... Um you found your spot, you put out your cameras, there's white tail, there's some deer there you're interested in. When you decide to start actually hunting the land, <clears throat> are you using lures, baits, uh, calls, rattles? What's your, what's your method? How are you, what are you, are you just sitting quietly and waiting or what are you doing? Well, I've got a couple of different areas that I hunt. Um, I'm out, I'm out west here, so we've got like some really big fields. And uh, if I'm hunting a field, I'll sit. You're not going to call them across the field kind of a thing. So I'll just find a really comfortable spot to, to pop up a blind or I'll, I'll use a, a permanent blind. And uh, I'll, I'll just sit and be quiet and, and wait for dark if it's kind of in the afternoon or get there really early while it's still dark in the morning. And, uh, uh, you know, wait for light and wait to see what kind of uh, animals pop up. So um, that, that's, that's on a, on a field. Um, I've got a spot that's kind of a little bit further into the bush and for there I'll use, uh, uh, rattling horns and that'll be, I, I prefer just the natural stuff because I find a lot of sheds or if I end up shooting a buck and I don't think the horns are all that great, I'll just, uh, cut them off and, and make myself a, a set of rattlers out of them. Um, I have used those, I've got the, one of those little green bumpy deals that you pull, pull apart and you rub together to make that rattling sound. Um, it's okay. It just, it just doesn't sound as real as the actual horns though. So yeah. I, I kind of like using just the, the natural horns. The plasticky ones sound just that plasticky. You've seen those ones that you hold in your hand and you, they're like two look like, I don't know, plastic knockers and you roll them together and they are supposed to make a rattle thing, mm -hmm. a rattle sound. That's just so that you've got something small and compact to get into your, into your, uh, hunting kit. I have um, the rattle bag. You roll them together in your hands, and it's supposed to sound like antlers hitting together. But I've I've not had any success in New Brunswick with any kind of calls. Um, I usually I I've only I've shot one deer with a rifle, and we were just sitting on the edge of a field where we knew that deer would be crossing to go from the bedding to the food. Um, but other than that, I, I'm up in a tree stand, and I'm just more worried about the wind and my scent than pretty much anything else. And, um, I'm not using a grunt cause I'm not bow hunting. The, the rut hasn't started yet. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to come running to, to a, to a bleat or a, a grunt. Um, I played with that stuff just to play with it, see if it would happen, but it's just usually, you know, yeah, luck. too, too <laughs> early on. Well, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've successfully rattled them in really early on in the rut. I've, uh, I've rattled in like first weekend of November, which they shouldn't be in rut just yet, but, mm -hmm. um, they were just curious. They were just curious to see what the sound was. And, uh, yeah, God, I, I called, it was, it was so silly. Okay. Um, um, I walked out to my blind talking with my buddy and, you know, it was mostly, you know, his, his first time out. So I was mostly just, you know, feeding him information and that kind of thing. I wasn't expecting to see anything. I go up in this stand, I wait not two minutes, and I rattle, and uh, call in a deer to 20 yards within me. So it's, yeah, it's surprising how, sometimes how well that stuff works and how uh, how quickly it works. Hmm. But uh, in, in terms of grunting, I've used grunting to stop a deer in its tracks. You might have a, a yeah, deer Yeah, I've done that, yeah. Yeah. Where they're running away or they're running sideways, you grunt mm -hmm. at them real quick, or even I mean, just make a yeah silly sound. 
And uh, they stop and they try to listen, and that's when you get to pull a trigger on them when they're broadside and yep. frozen. So. Yep, 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 for sure, definitely something, you know, porcupines walking by and it kind of startles them and, yeah, or, or, um, I remember one time we were, um, on a nuisance tag in an apple orchard and we set, uh, ground blinds up right among the trees and there wasn't communication between the landowner and everybody who had a tag and this guy who didn't know what he was doing was just basically walking through the apple orchard with a pair of jeans on and a vest. And a bow and arrow, just walking with his bow and arrow. Like, look at me, I'm the mighty hunter, right? I'm just going to walk up on a deer and he's just going to stand still for me and let me. So anyway, he pushed these does out. And that's really what they wanted us to get off the land, right, was the does. They were eating the apples. And as you, you know, like you said, one buck's going to serve us three or four does, right? So they wanted the does off the land. Anyway, so a couple of does just come flying by us. And one of them I, walked in front of my blind before she got to this ridge and drop down and just a little meh, and sure enough she stopped but she wouldn't stay because this guy kept coming and we didn't know he was coming until he literally he's, he walked past our blinds and then turned around and looked in <laughs> just clueless just clueless. not aware yeah just yeah. Ru- totally ruined our day yeah. totally you know those deer probably would have meandered along to where we were but he just pushed them right out of the uh, orchard anyway um, Matthew yeah, there you go. Um, how come you've uh, you've not gotten into the big game hunting thing? Is it? I mean, I know you 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 know your dad didn't take you hunting when you were young and stuff like that, and you hunted turkeys and grouse. And why uh, why haven't you gotten the bug? Why haven't you like wanted to like get a tree stand and go hang hang a stand and get up there with your Enfield or maybe your twelve gauge with a some SSG or slug and put out some apples and and wait? Why haven't you? Uh, Seems like a, seems like a lot of work. It is. <laughs> Let's be I, fair, it is. I like I like to grab my rifle whenever I feel like it, my shotgun, and just hit the trail and go after birds and rabbits because it's it's quick, easy. I don't have to think too far in advance. I don't have to do many do much planning. Now that being said, that's a pretty poor excuse and a pretty lazy way of uh, of hunting. And I would encourage anybody who hasn't been big game hunting to get out and and to do it. Um, realistically, my biggest hurdle at the moment is I have nobody to teach me the ropes locally. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to go big game hunting. I'm not going to go after a deer. And I know a lot of guys like, oh, deer is easy. Well, yeah, it's for you. It's easy because you know how to do it. You've been doing it for a while. I've never hunted deer with anybody who knew what they were doing, really. So Yeah, if you could just get out just one time, like if Owen took you out and showed right. you what he does and stuff, then yeah. you'd be set. Like, I mean, I went out bear hunting once with one of my instructors from my bow hunting education course. He just took me once. And the yeah. next year I had my own guy's license in two spots. Yeah, awesome. You yeah. know, and I was taking people from, from Nova Scotia bear hunting. And it's you, you, But you're right, if you've not been shown, you've not done it, I could see how it might be intimidating. And, and it, in fairness, it, it, if you get serious about it, it is a lot of work. And, man, some people take deer hunting more seriously than I take hipsick. Right. I mean, it's yeah, they take it to a whole another level. A yeah. whole another level, yeah. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of, um, like, after the shot is where the wor- real work gets in. I mean, you shoot a grouse, and you do the trick where you step on the wings and pull on the legs, and boom, you're done, right? Yeah, you, exactly. You've got your grouse meat. Um, I tried stepping on the wings of a deer and pulling on its legs. It turned <laughs> out it was a pegasus, and you're not supposed to shoot those, but whatever. Nah, you, I really nah, couldn't get done. the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
They're vermin. They're, they're, they're vermin. For those. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till Hercules finds out you shot his ride. Oh man, I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna be in so much trouble. Yeah. Well, so I've... stepping on the wings, I guys, I squirrel. Yeah. Actually, gross. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Luke and I wrote, and I think I cleaned the gross that he shot. I can't remember. Anyway, um, I reached in. The heart was still in the chest, so I took the heart out and put it my in the palm of my hand, and it was still beating. And I'm like, Luke, you got to get a video of this. Like, look at this. The heart's still beating in my hand. And he, he messes with the camera, and it kind of stops. And I'm like, oh, it started again. Go to the camera. So I get to the camera, and it slows down. So I was like, I'll give it CPR. So I start doing compressions on the heart in my hand, and it starts to beat again. <laughs> <laughs> but the video didn't take. Oh, Yeah. That's so, too bad. Funny story, though. That's good. Yeah, I thought so. I gave yeah. a, a gross heart CPR, and it came back to life. And it so worked. There. CPR works, kids. Go take Aunt, it first aid. Yep. Well, um, yeah. Just on the the topic of uh, sk- skinning deer, have you guys seen the uh, the pickup version of skinning them? Yes. Crazy. I haven't tr- I haven't tried it. I don't think I need to. I, I mean, I've I, I don't know what about you guys, but I do the uh, rear legs up yep. uh, gambrel through the between the tendon and the yep. uh, ankle bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, hoist it up. I've got a uh, oh, what kind when of when you get down around the hips, you just grab and pull. Yeah. Yeah, just grab and pull it down and uh, uh, go around the pooper and uh, peel out the guts and saw the chest and throw it all into the bucket and away you go, right? Fuck it. That's... <laughs> oh, we use a wheelbarrow, actually. That's uh, yeah. that's really convenient. Wheelbarrow, put the guts in there and then roll them out to wherever pile you want to have. And then maybe later, if you want to, you can shoot magpies. Oh, yeah. We'll see everyone we've ever been with, my, my deer and everybody else. We just gut it where we find it. And then carry it out with the guts uh, out of it, and it's a lot lighter to carry. Yeah, definitely. But it's not always appropriate to leave your gut pile where the deer lays, like on the lawn of a school or something. You know, I would <laughs> wouldn't recommend you. You know, if you're shooting archery, a nuisance tag, and you're you've got approval to you know shoot the bow within the city limits or whatever, and the deer should happen to wander onto a church lawn or something or a graveyard, I don't think you should probably get it there. Probably not. Might hurt. Might uh, wound some uh, sensible, uh, sensitive yeah. kids, right? Yeah. So, so okay. Um, you know, we talked about the methods, and uh, or, you know, you and I both prefer blinds or or tree stands. Well, you I have cleaning. I have walked up on some. I've uh-huh. uh, and and both times, uh, both times I've walked up on a deer. It's been the same thing. It, it's been in the morning, and I've been heading east. So I've had the sun at my back. Um, and both times it's been a buck that, uh, that just couldn't see me because I was, I was coming, I was basically walking towards them. And when they're, when they look up, all, all they can see is sun, right? And, uh, they got other things on their mind. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's worked for me a couple of times. Yeah. But, and, and, and I always try and set my tree stand up. Like, uh, you know, I hunt in the evening. So I try and set my stand up. Well, I'm thinking, pretty much bear here but if you can hunt over bait for deer as well you set it up so that the sun is at your back so if they do look up they're just looking into the sun right because the sun is right behind you shining down on them so yeah lessons so, from the lessons from the red baron on hunting deer <laughs> come at them from the sun so once we've got the deer on the ground um you know i think it's pretty straightforward yeah 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 you know you, okay you open it up you take everything out but what approach do you take? Like I've heard some people say that, you know, you need to remove the testicles right away. As soon as possible, chop them off. And other people are like, no, leave them attached. And, oh, be careful, don't don't 
rupture the bladder and you don't want to get urine into the meat and all this stuff. Do you have a particular method uh, that you use when you approach dressing your deer? Well, the place where I hunt, I can get to uh, to a downed animal really quickly with uh, with a truck or quad. Um, so I take the animal wholesale, like I'll, I'll I'll tag it where it is, which you have to according to to uh, law here in Alberta, um, and then I'll take it to where it's being processed, and it's a five minute drive or quad ride to to where I process it, and then uh, so I I leave it all intact, everything. Um, I think you have to leave proof of sex on the on the animal until That's it's an Alberta at- thing. Yeah, is that an Alberta thing? Yeah, okay. yeah. You have to leave uh, with elk. I know maybe it's all um, big game in Alberta, but I know elk in Alberta. You definitely have to leave uh, something attached to the hide to show that it's a male. Yeah. So I, I, I personally, I just leave it all on uh, until I take it to where it's being butchered, and that's because it's a very short distance. I don't have to worry about the guts ruining the meat or anything like that because. Uh, it's so quick that uh, it okay, but like if you couldn't, how is, is there a particular way you would approach it? Do you just mm-hmm. get down there and get the twig and berries off? You start around the rectum, pull it out, tie a knot in it. How do you go about it? I think if if I had to, I would uh, yeah, I would tie a knot around. Uh, if it was a male, I'd tie tie a knot so that uh, we kept the urine off. Um, I still would have to leave proof of sex. That's where. Having a like a grocery bag or something like that, where you can—that's that's what we've done in the past when we had to move like transport game and, and still keep it attached—is wrap a grocery bag around it to keep the hair off the meat because uh, you don't you don't want a lot of deer hair on your meat and, and that, that kind of thing. You, you just want to keep the meat from spoiling. So that means the less stuff you get on it, the better. Um, I tr- like when I'm when I'm skinning them out. I try to keep a, a a bucket of warm water nearby. And again, that's not in the field or anything, but. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's just very different, I guess, because I because I am processing in a in a garage is is where I process all my deer, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we do everything uh, same thing. You know, I do all the skinning once it's hung up uh, in a garage or something. Like whenever I've taken a deer and my last couple of bear to the butcher, I've delivered a skin carcass. You know, I just take the guts out in the woods, take them home, hang them on my hook. Like you said, through the tendons and the ankles and the back, and then I remove the hide and then deliver uh, wrapped in plastic uh, skinned carcass. Yeah, yeah, so. I'm, I'm the same way. Well, uh, maybe maybe just uh, just stepping back a little bit to the hunt. Do you do you do any uh, any scent blockers or anything like that, or are you just Absolutely. roll out there? Um, no, no, I'm ridiculous about that. Um, my my clo- I wear Under Armour that has a scent blocker built into the Under Armour underwear. It's not like that carbon stuff that you have to reactivate. It's their own kind of technology. It's quite a few years old now. I don't know if it's worn out, if they've come out with a new product or not. But, you know, I've got the the long johns and the undershirt full length all the way up to the turtleneck collar. Um, So I start with that. spray down. spray everything down. All the clothing is washed in um, scent-free specifically laundry detergent made by like dead down wind or one of the other manufacturers of scent free products and scent masking products. Um, and also those detergents don't have any UV brighteners in them, you know, to make the, make the, uh, the fabric of your material pop and look bright. You want your, you know, you don't want UV to reflect off your clothing because of the color spectrum that deer see in. They don't see in color, but they do see contrast. So if you wash your hunting vest 
or your hunting clothes in Tide, you're going to glow like a glow stick up in the tree because Tide has those fluorescence added to the soap to make your clothing glow basically to make your 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 brights brighter right <laughs> it's 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 a, yeah. it's a fact they actually you know they put that stuff in there so i washed my hunting clothes in a specific um detergent and uh, spray everything down either with a fresh earth scent scent cover or just a straight scent neutralizer like dead downwind um tink 69 you know i'll put urine on my boots um and then the, the those like i've got two tink 69 scent bags so the bags are lined with uh charcoal lining right to keep scents out and keep scents in so i'll use one for my jacket and gloves like basically the outer layers and then one bag will have the inner layers and i'll put uh cedar boughs in there just to you know, make the clothing smell like cedar. I'll take my hunting vest and throw it in the dirt, step on it and get it dirty and smelly and smelling like the forest floor. I try and uh, control the scent as much as possible, except for bear. Bear, I'll actually take a shirt that I've worn while baiting or setting up the stand, something that I've sweat on, and I'll hang that in my tree stand. I want them to, you know, associate the smell so that, you know, okay, yeah, I smell that smell, but there's food here. So I don't care if I smell that smell. Obviously, it doesn't work for deer, but bear in the spring are a different animal altogether, obviously. Yeah, I do a lot less than that. I I, uh, I have all my hunting clothes that I keep in a, a big garbage bag, and I spray them with some of that scent block, and that's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But I, you, you're not washing them in uh, a specific uh, laundry no. detergent? No, I, I just don't do any. I don't use any detergent. I just wash them with uh, with warm water, and uh, I just opt out of any soaps. I know what you're talking about, though, with that UV, because um, I've got a buddy who picked up a new uh, camouflage hunting jacket, and it looked really good. Like the the pattern on it looked really good, and uh, we were out hunting together, um, and and just walking on our way back from uh, a night hunt, and. Uh, he was glow- his camouflage jacket was like glowing in the dark. Humans can see a little bit of that, that UV spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a full moon, and man, his his well camouflaged jacket was just really glowing. So you could tell that it was uh, it was just just hammering out the UV uh, reflectivity on it. So yeah, um, never never let your wife near your hunting clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just keep mine in a garbage bag. So. They're they're separate, and I hit them with that spray, and that's that's pretty much it. And uh, now I haven't I haven't worried too much about deer, but with coyotes, they've they've definitely made me before. Um, I've this is digressing off of our topic of whitetail hunting, but I'll talk about it anyway. Since we're talking about camo and, and that kind of thing, um, I was uh, I was out uh, over a call here in Alberta. You can use electronic calls for for coyotes. Um, so I'm hunting over an electronic call. I put it pretty far. Um, upwind and the reason for that is i wanted the coyote to cross in front of me trying to be downwind of the call uh i misjudged how far to put it i put it a little bit too close and the coyote went behind me um and got into my scent trail and was gone he like really interested in the call wanted to come in but you could tell it just it it wanted to circle back like they'll always try to come in from downwind and uh i didn't leave enough space and and it, it it made me um, so they're, they're the only ones where I'm really concerned about making sure that my scent profile is, is really neutral. And what about 
you know, human urine in and around your tree stand. Some guys will absolutely not urinate anywhere near their hunting grounds. Other people will make a scrape and they'll pee in it themselves. Uh, are you conscious of that? Do you think that, you know, they will detect the smell of human urine and have nothing to do with the area? Uh, I, try I, to, I try to leave as, as little impact to the area as possible. I want to make, make it like, like I was never there. So I, I try not to, uh, not to urinate uh, anywhere near my stand. So I'll always hit the bathroom before I leave in the morning. Mm, me too. But uh, I was hunting in a tree stand in Nova Scotia once and hardcore guys, they drop you off uh, before the sun comes up and they pick you up after the sun comes down and you're in mm. the stand all day. And this was before smartphones. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, I, I had no choice, right? So off of the side of the stand, I went and... Uh, like the bottle, you know, you need to bring a bottle with you if, you know, you know, keep it in a bottle and take it out with you. But the, the, whatever, off the, off the side of the stand, I went and within an hour, a doe and a fawn come in and she is literally walking straight for me. Like she's going to pass beneath my feet and she gets within, I don't know, 10 feet of the urine and stops dead in her tracks and goes around it. It was the freakiest thing. Huh. It was like she hit over an invisible wall, and yeah. then uh, and then I took a shot at her and misjudged the yardage and went over her back. Oh. Yeah, closest I ever came to connecting with a deer uh, with an arrow. But uh, anyway, it's it's but, wild, eh? Bow hunting deer. Like I don't know about you, but I I've I've rifle hunted a lot of deer, and uh, you you get that surge of adrenaline um, rifle hunting deer. With a bow, it was just intense because the deer is so, so close and you have to do so much to prep and draw and be on target and careful on your release. Don't torque the bow. There's so much that's going on and it's so hard to do with the, the adrenaline pumping when they're that close. Um, do, takes, do you get the same thing? Initially, yep. Um the first time a deer came in when I was sitting in a stand, I thought I was going to hyperventilate right out of the stand. I was so excited to actually see deer in the wild that close under hunting conditions with a bow in my hand. And I mean, a shot never presented itself, but it took about, I don't know, five or six deer coming within shooting range for that to go away and to remain calm. Right. Um, and then when I was bow hunting bear, like, oh, and this one can eat me. You know, the deer's a vegetarian, <laughs> but this guy can eat me. So that's a whole other experience. And that's, that's just awesome. But, uh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, with a rifle, it's not a big deal. You get up there and, okay, where's my eye relief? And uh, my, sh my jacket's a little thick. So I got to get the shoulder stock in the right spot on my shoulder. And it's not very critical, right? But with a bow and arrow, if your jacket, if the sleeve of your jacket is not tucked in tight and the string hits it, that's it. You could be gone. If you're wearing a face mask, a toque, gloves, and you've never shot your bow with all of that on, and all of a sudden you can't find your anchor point because there's a couple of centimeters of fabric between your hand and your face, you need to get out and practice in the same situation in which you're going to hunt. If you've never shot an arrow from a tree stand, please make sure the first one you fire from a tree stand is not at a live animal. That's pretty unethical and irresponsible. Yeah, Hang your stand in the off season, put on your hunting clothes, get a 3D target, 
if you can afford it. They're not they're not cheap. So you know, but find something to shoot your arrows into from your tree stand with your hunting clothes on to know how you and your gear are going to perform. Standing in the indoor range shooting at 18 meters is far different than getting out there and trying to wait a second. I'm I'm sitting face on. I've got I got a how about you know when you shoot a bow you don't shoot it straight out in front of you you shoot it off to the side i always hang my tree stand so i'm sitting facing away from my bait i'm sitting so my left arm is pointed at my bait so that when i make my shot i'm already in the shooting position i don't have to waste movement moving myself around in my seat i see hunters hang their stand facing the prey and they're shooting a bow i'm like you're you're not going to shoot the bow right out in front of you you know, turn your stance so that you're lined up already in in your in your stance in your shooting form. Yeah, and that's that's when the deer, that's when the deer come their other way. <laughs> yeah. You got to make some stupid shot where, like you're saying, center on, like s- sitting and uh, and making a center shot is is really difficult. Anyways, yeah, that's uh, that. Those are all really really yeah reasons why I, I really get nerved up when uh, when I'm bow hunting deer that are close in, and I mean. I, I was out uh, over the summer here in BC at a, a like a retirement community kind of thing, and they've got their pet deer that like walks around. I see that deer, nothing. Don't feel anything. It's only when you're hunting, and it's like now is now's the time. Yep. It's a wild animal. I'm gonna take now, and, and that those things, those those hunter instincts all kind of come in. Mm. Matthew, you got any final thoughts? I don't think so. No, you guys pretty much covered everything that I didn't know. So. Did you actually learn anything? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Thanks for asking all those questions. Well, you know, you guys were doing great without me interrupting you, so I thought I'd just let you carry on. And uh... <laughs> I don't know what you've done, Adriel, but I'm not sure. Like you, you brought out some kind of new Matthew where he doesn't interrupt the hosts. Uh, <laughs> I'm scared of him still. I don't know who he is. I haven't oh, met him in person. Still shy. Okay. I yeah. See. Well, he's famous. You know, he's on YouTube. <laughs> That's true. He's <laughs> you're on you. YouTube. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Screw you then. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's really anything else we can cover. If the listeners have any questions or if we miss something or you got a great deer hunting experience that you'd like to share with us, please write us an email and, uh, and fill us in. Uh, if there's cool. some, you know, questions or points we missed or just want to tell us a story about your first deer or your best deer, please feel free to, uh, to write in because I know the other listeners would love to hear it. And, and maybe, um, just, one thing that w- that would be a, a good place no, to end. No, we're done. Is- <laughs> <laughs> that was that was called a segue, Adriel. You'll learn. Go ahead, Matthew. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, one thing I was going to mention here was just um, how do you get started deer hunting? And I think Matthew's got shoot the right ideas. I'll shoot a deer. <laughs> just uh, park your truck uh, next to the deer farm and uh, <laughs> start blazing away. Yeah, just blaze away. No, I think like. I, th- I think the idea, like a lot, I talk to a lot of uh, a lot of people who are just getting into hunting, and I think the idea of starting with grouse and rabbits and that kind of thing is the right idea, because um, taking a deer is a bigger project, if if I can give it that that kind of a word, just because like you, you go shoot a grouse, you you skin it, you're 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 good to go, kind of a thing. Whereas with deer, you have to stalk your spot, you have to put up those game cams, or you have to know someone who can kind of get you into, into deer hunting. So um, at, at least with whitetail deer hunting, that's the way I would go, is starting with grouse and rabbits, getting yourself used to the outdoor aspect of hunting first, and then uh, 
try to find someone that you know that that can take you out to uh, some crown land or somewhere that's public where where they can take you hunting. I don't know, like, uh, how, how did you get into uh, Whitetail? You, you mentioned that you had some friends that you, you started out with, Trevor? Um, well, initially, uh, somebody that I just went to school with, mm-hmm. uh, his father took he and I hunting that first year we turned 18. And we just drove around, all right, let's park here and walk. Drive around, park here and walk, right? And we're not dressed appropriately. We're not worried about wind and, you know, whatever. It was hunting, but if we would have shot anything, it would have been dumb luck. So, um, and then that was it. There was no more, uh, there was no more season. And when I got to university, um, somebody that I was going to university with, he was like, oh my God, I'm from Woodstock and we all hunt and we've got camps out in juniper and there's more deer than people and yeah i'd love to take you out hunting and you can meet my family and you know so awesome. i get yeah i get out there with an old lee enfield like an old number one something or rather iron sights and these guys all have you know modern modern bolt action rifles with scopes so i felt like i was coming out of some kind of ghetto and uh they were much more serious than uh, my father would go with my uncle and he would go with some of his friends, but I never was able to go on to those trips because usually it involved, would involve uh, some time during the school year and I would have to go to school. So uh, yeah, I didn't get into it seriously until university and learn from these guys about scrapes and rubs and, uh, you know, what it, what a modern deer rifle looks like and, uh, and buying scent clothing and camo and boots and so uh yeah i didn't just uh get a liberal arts degree i learned how to deer hunt while in university and then <laughs> archery when i got into archery i got into archery strictly to compete but yeah the fir- after the first year hunting i was or first year shooting a bow i was bow hunting hmm. yeah so yeah no you're lucky that you knew someone who could get you into it because that's that's definitely going to help a lot with learning all that stuff and and the learning curve on it yeah well you know Joining the archery club, the archery club was run by bow hunters. So that was very reflective in the membership. Everybody was standing on the line with pretty much a hunting bow. And shooting at the archery club in the wintertime was something that you did until spring bear started and then, and then deer started in the fall, right? There wasn't a whole lot of, uh, incentive for these guys to become competitive shooters like nobody went to the nationals or anything like that so uh, i got into the club at the right time where like i said all the coaches were bow hunters and bow hunter instructors so i was welcomed into the fold and uh and and taught the ropes by those guys awesome yeah good place to find educated and and knowledgeable people that are willing to share and traveling new brunswick going to the archery tournaments in the different towns meeting people uh becoming friends with them going to clinics they were like yeah you know well i'll take you hunting i got three stands set up come on down anytime so then these guys would invite me to go to go hunt their stands so that's how i got involved with that uh, nuisance deer uh tag program outside of fredericton awesome yeah very awesome so get out and get involved meet some people you shut in talking to you mcclatchy yeah yeah i'll get there <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah i wanted to i wanted to that, that's one of the things that i know a lot of uh, a lot of people who want to hunt deer and, and just aren't yet are, are wondering about is just how to get started into it. And I think, I think what you're saying there is, is through your bow hunting club, through your shooting club. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a big crossover between bow and, and rifle shooters and hunters. So 
you can meet a lot of people at the range, whether it be the bow range or the rifle range, and they might be able to take you out. Matthew, have you even seen deer in your area at all while hunting or otherwise? Yes, I have seen four, I believe. Three of them I saw with Matt. Uh, we were within probably 100 yards of one and 200 yards of the furthest one. Um, one was a beautiful buck, if I remember right. And uh, it wasn't during deer season. It was right before deer season. We were out grouse hunting. And we just kind of came up over this hill about a kilometer from my house. And there they were, out in this field, clover field, just munching away. That's how it works. They're out of season, and you see the biggest buck ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't be... You could get into it, Matthew, just by, quote-unquote, truck hunting. You could buy your deer license instead of your gross license and uh, drive around the truck with your shotgun out of the case, and but your rifle in the case... Or vice versa, or both out of the case. It doesn't matter, and um, just in case you happen to come along and come come across a deer. Yeah, I mean, if I knew how to clean one and how to process one, then that would it's be something. Basically, I would do. it's basically the same as as cleaning a rabbit. Yeah, no, I, I except bigger. Yeah, I yeah, understand. That's, yeah, that's it. Just open it up and take everything out. Well, yeah, yeah. If you got a, do you guys have Princess Auto out there? Yep. Yeah, Princess Auto has. Yeah, we have, those, we have uh, TV, cable, logs. and cell phones too. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if they had that chain out there. Anyways, those guys have chain blocks, uh, rope blocks, and gambrels, and all that kind of stuff, and they got it for cheap. It's not good, but it's cheap, and uh, for new yeah, hunters, use it for just lifting get a in. gear, not an engine. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. So, I mean, I've, I've got those rope blocks as backups. Chain blocks are good. Um, that makes it so that one person can do it, and you're not struggling to you know lift a deer up or anything like that. And they're convenient for raising it up or down, depending on what you're doing for skinning, so... You take the work out of it. You take an old hockey stick, Matthew, and a couple of nails, and you run it through the tendons behind the ankles, and the nails just stop the legs from slipping off the end of the hockey stick. You tie a rope around it, you throw that over the rafter in your shed in the backyard, and you pull. And then you tie that rope to something else, and then you start cutting. Then you leave it there for a week, right? Mm, if the temperature's right, sure, with the hide-off. <laughs> you got to get, you know, uh, I don't know about you, Adriel, but down here, the philosophy is always knock the hide off as fast as possible and cool the meat as fast as possible and that will help with uh, flavor you won't yeah. have that strong gamey flavor if you can cool the faster you can cool the meat the better the flavor it's never a problem for me because it's always minus 20 it, you know the problem is Perfect. i can't i can't leave a deer hang long enough to get the blood out of it because it freezes by the time <laughs> but like it'll it'll freeze in a day right so they, they don't get to late to, to hang that long kind of a thing unless you have to... a heated garage yeah, it doesn't get to age very, no. very well before it freezes. Well. Very good. Yeah. Anyways, I'll I'll talk about this topic all day if if we let me. So yeah, we should probably probably, probably just keep going here. Um, on to uh, listener feedback, uh, and the first one here is from Sean. Sean says, "Hi there, just listening to your podcast. I'm interested in your potential course for Alberta. Currently, I'm in Calgary, but willing to travel. Sounds like a blast. I've been listening since episode number one." There's the possibility of two of us to travel to the course as well. Just need the dates. Cheers from Sean. And now think, you have them. Yeah. Our date, uh, just to say again here, is August, August 6th. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't realize you could scroll up that fast. Oh, I was I was prepped for it. You were ready. all ready to go there, man. Sorry. <laughs> didn't mean to cut you off. Well, Matthew, you can take the next one. Oh, you. <laughs> all right. This one's from Dirty. He writes, yo, yo, yo. He says, ATM equals Ariel, Treva, and McCrotchy. 
So I guess the ATM was just our initials. Uh, just like if I was emailing the guys at Murder Rifleman Radio, I would say I'm about to fly later KB, which is Ken and Brianne, right? Is that how you say his name, Brianne? Sure. <laughs> it's Ken and Brian. Anyway, whatever. It's funny. Um, guess all I have to say now is since y'all's be calling Adriel Frosty, uh, I, I have created a monster. I'm about to fly later. FTM. So that'd be Frosty, Trevor, and McCrotchy. And that's from Dirty. He says, P.S. I meant to say racists last week, not raisins. Darn autocorrect. P.S.S. Uh, have added some new guys to the crew. They given ya like another seven or so thumbs up. So there's another seven thumbs up. I guess one guy only has one thumb. So right now, Melissa is in her office going, worst dirty email ever. That's, look, I'm cool with that. I am as white as they come. (laughs) (laughs) I just, um, yeah. So I had three people Facebook me and asked me what ATM stood for. And the last person I didn't know, so I I was too embarrassed to tell them. So I was just (laughs) like, uh, Google it. Google. No, At don't tell people to Google that. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say it. I didn't know the guy. I told Melissa what it was right away. And right. She's like, yeah, I already knew that. No, she didn't say that. <laughs> uh, that's All right, funny. I got Ross then. You got it. Hi, Slamfire folks. First off, T, thank you for the mug. It will have a suitable place of honor in the new castle, Lori. Now, Lori, let me, Ross... This is the Rossinator, by the way. Ross, let me clarify that Filthy does all of that and makes it sound like we have, like we're a part of it. He makes those, and then he actually asks our permission to distribute them. So that was a gift from Filthy. Uh, I may have suggested that I give it to you, but really, Filthy deserves the credit for that. So I'm glad you're enjoying it. However, today is election day here in Canada. As this is scribbled, the results are uncertain. Oh <laughs> well, we know there. <laughs> if you believe the pollsters the results uh what's that word that's a big word preordained yeah preordained liberal majority well the polls were right the rhetoric has reached levels this cycle not see since referendum days i read it how it was written yeah no you did great carry on as they as they say haters gonna hate if you believe the press the hate of all things right of center is a tidal wave signed off facebook until the calendar year is over like most life is better lived without uh, the high school rhetoric and general waste of quality time and emotions. Sigh. Nonetheless, we need to adapt and become active. If blue team has lost and we face a red majority, not the American listeners, in Canada, right side is blue, left side is red, and wackles are orange. <laughs> All as all human populations have done, we need to adapt. Adaption takes different forms and time frames. So below, here are some suggestions. Don't discount them at first blush. Blue team wins. Status quo, but see below. Two. That was one. Blue team wins. Two. Red minority. Get ready to go back to the polls in 24 months. No risk, as they are more interested in demonstrating that they can govern and winning a majority next time around. Number three, red majority. Adapt or five years of fear. No, no take control of your destiny. 
If the Liberals win the whole shooting match, join them. Yes, take out a Liberal Party membership. Then you can vote on their platform and policies. I agree with that. You can't you can't change the party unless you're part of the party. Personally, not a fan of their platform and policies. Most listeners of this show would not be either. That said, gun owners have done themselves a disservice by only backing one side. Corporations fund both parties so they can have an ear no matter who wins. We need this insurance. Let's push the Liberals to go to go being more pro-gun by voting for it at party functions. Otherwise, each election cycle, we stand a chance of losing either no more IDPA, IPSC, 3-gun, etc. We well, stand a chance of losing everything, he said. No more yeah. IDPA, IPSC, 3-gun, etc. I think this is where we need a, you know, the, uh, a gun rights organization that can lobby the liberals because right mm-hmm. now we've, we've, like, we've got the CSSA and the NFA, both of which are um, very pro-conservative and rightfully so because that's the party that um, that could have won and uh, kept our gun rights. But at the same time, it's, it's because they're so pro-conservative, it's almost like, what are they going to do now with the liberal government, right? Mm-hmm. No, he definitely raises a, an interesting point, and there's some validity to it for sure. If we want the liberals to be pro-gun, we have to make them pro-gun, and we have to do it from the inside. There needs to be uh, pro-gun liberals. That's all there is to it. And yep. uh, my MP, uh, he, he's he's a lawyer. Um, he knows about the gun club. He's been to the gun club. Uh, the gun club has spoken to him about issues in the past. Uh, I have, I'm considering scheduling a meeting with him walking into his desk and dropping my gun club's financial statement on his desk and go, see those tens of thousands of dollars? That's all going to get, uh, gonna get uh, reinvested here in the community. If you kill us, you kill this. We bring hundreds of people to this area every year. Who else is doing that? Our economy around here is in the tank, in the toilet, and uh, there's not a lot happening in this small area that contributes to the economy the way we do. So if you if you make our lives miserable and the club folds, these tens of thousands of dollars that would get reinvested into the community won't happen. If I don't bring this to his attention, he's not going to know about it. He's not going to realize the econ- the economic impact that the Rescue Gun Club has on the local economy. Bring that to his attention. That's what they care about. They care about jobs. They care about growth. They care about development. They care about money. They care about bottom lines. Not so much gun owners. But if he has, if he sees the positive economic impact that we're making, when he goes to Ottawa and his cronies are talking about banning guns, he can say, "Hey, well, in my neighborhood, the gun owners do good things, right?" So, uh, Ross continues. He said, "Call it subversion. Call it pragmatism. To protect our property and sports, we need to push from the inside." Do you really think that if handguns are banned, as per CBC polling, we would get paid out? Really? Not a chance. By then, you're living in Canada. <laughs> Not a chance. By then, you're living in Canada, spelled with a K. Consider keeping your friends close, but your enemies closer. Keep saying, start pushing, Ross and Calgary. A lot of yep, things good to points. think about there. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Very good points. Um, I've got the next one here. It's from the whale. Just heard about your election? Man, that sucks. Shortest email ever from the whale. <laughs> That's true. And I actually added Poignant. to it. You actually yeah, added to it. <laughs> I added to it because the uh, the title was just heard about the election, the subject line. So I had to <laughs> right, you had to add that in. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So his email was really just, man, that sucks. Yep. 
Uh, Matthew, you got the, the next one here? Yeah, from Luke. Just uh, listening to one of the latest Slamfire episodes and got halfway through it when I heard there was a CQB course in St. Paul, Alberta. That's where I live. I have been waiting years to attend one, but haven't been able to due to time scheduling constraints, and I missed it. Right here in my hometown. How could I have not heard of this? Oh, man. Out at the UFO landing pad. Please tell me how to get in touch with the instructor slash course slash organizer slash range owner for the love of all that's holy. Thank you. Thank you. Great shows, by the way. Luke. <laughs> he really did yell in his email, too. So. I um, if I know this, Luke. St. Paul is really small. He's probably your cousin or something. <laughs> he lives down the street from the UFO platform. Okay, Luke, if you're listening, I'm one of the me shows from the St. Paul area. We'll get we'll get together for this July thing. <laughs> yeah, he now goes by Frosty. Frosty the Ariel. Frosty. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Trevor, Frosty I guess. Areolis. I guess that's the next one here. Yeah, so this one came to us from Benny, and uh, it's entitled Frosty Ariel as in Ariel the Mermaid, as in the Little Mermaid, the Disney cartoon. And, he's and it's, it uh, yeah, it's a um, photo. Uh, it's not a spelling contest, Ariel. <laughs> it's just, it's a podcast. You're not being graded on this. And oh, neither is Benny. continues. <laughs> so anyway, Benny sent us in a photo of a mermaid ice sculpture, which I promptly posted to our Facebook page, because we love you, Adriel. Oh, the love. I certainly feel the love. <laughs> I get okay, it. I, I got the next one here from Thomas. <laughs> R.E. Lee Turret Press. For the casual shooter who does not have the Fur Lattes annual round count to reload, the Lee Turret Press combo package is really the best value out there for a new shooter. Uh, the Dylan 650 Press alone will run you $750. If you want, to, if you want it set up with all of the Rikoski extra accessories... Rikoski. Rikoski? Okay. Yeah, Chris Rikoski from Action Stream Radio has his press tricked out. Uh, if you want to set up with all the Rikoski extra accessories, it's going to cost you around $1,500 just for one caliber. And that's not including a powder scale or a tumbler to clean your brass. For under $500, you can buy the Lee Turret Press Package, a tumbler, dies, powder measures, and start reloading. I have extra turrets set up for 9mm, 357, 44, and 45. Each setup has its own powder dispenser, too, so it only takes me five seconds to change calibers. Of course, the main disadvantage with any turret press compared to a progressive press is speed. A Dillon progressive can make approximately 500 to 600 rounds an hour compared to the 150 rounds an hour on a turret press. But there are some advantages, uh, too. You will have saved enough money to buy another gun if you buy the Lee press, and it gives you more time to hide in the basement from your bitter half reloading. Thomas Donnelly. <laughs> Bitter ass. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think part of uh, part of reloading is that you have to discount your time so that you're not uh, thinking about what wage you're paying yourself to reload, uh, because otherwise it can be a little bit depressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad he used realistic numbers. Um, Dylan advertises that the 650 can do between 600 and 800 an hour. No. That's, yeah, you know, five to six is definitely much more realistic. It takes me, if I'm really being careful and taking my time and, and, you know, not rushing, being very deliberate in my movements on the handle and whatnot, uh, it takes me approximately six minutes per 100. I've rushed it one time uh, and did 100 in just over four minutes, but, you know, I mean, that was just showing off. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you got to get into a groove. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew, do you want to take the next one? From Mark. He says, hey guys, just dropping a line to let you know I am in for the handgun course in Alberta. Let me know how much and when. I really enjoy your podcast and keep up the great work. From Mark McLean, also known as Rifleman1911. So, automatically Trevor's new best friend. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can't wait, Mark. You're on the Christmas card list. How many uh, How many people have, have so far said that they're up for that course? I think In we... this episode alone, that makes... Two? There's three. Two? Two in, two in the last email. He said, me and my buddy. Yeah. That's two. Three with this guy. We're the guy that together. yelled at us. Yeah. So, that's five? With yeah, the next like audio submission, plus there's people in the last show. So we got to start, you know, the date is August 6th, and we'll have to just start collecting money, like, ASAP. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to hook up with uh, the range owner and uh, get it all set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's not collect money until you finalize those details, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> just in case. Yeah. yeah, let's get that all going. Um, and the next one here, we have a, an audio submission from Jason Philp. Good morning, podcast listeners from the highways and byways of rural Alberta. Jason Philp calling in again, but this time it's not about sporting plays. It's about this wonderful Fun for Mentals uh, pistol course that Matt and Trevor seem to be thinking they're coming out here to teach, and if they can get here, I'm coming. More to try and encourage Trevor to give a try to sporting plays while he's out there, and show him the nice new walnut stocks I've got on my SR-1911 and try and get him to help me out with the flipperosity. I've got a couple of uh, beautiful little hand loads there for that, that little pistol and a new nice loop and arc at 25 yards at just under 600 feet per second. And then I've got some of those hot home defense loads that we can, uh, they get going probably 800, 900, almost 1,000 feet per second. That's pretty fast for a handgun, I think. Anyway, if uh, anybody else wants to help me uh, just give Trevor just that little bit more of an aneurysm he doesn't quite get from his uh, his regular job, if we can do a little uh, homework and put our minds together and somehow keep them off WestJet or Air Canada and make sure they take the little puddle jumpers, it'd be great for him to see all of Canada. Perhaps a side stop and Basque, Hamilton, Barrie, Thunder Bay, Brandon, maybe one in... Regina, Saskatoon, Lloyd Minster, then maybe a long bus ride to Edmonton and a cab ride back. If we could hook that up and give them just a little bit more brain damage, I'm sure this pistol course will be more fun for the rest of us. Hopefully we've got room for campers and RVs and such, because I plan on bringing mine and possibly my little girl so she can learn how to shoot the gun as well. Give us a call, let us know how we can come, where you need the money. And uh, if we can get you maybe even a train ride, it'd be fantastic. What a way to see the country. Anything to help you, thank you for your votes in Eastern Canada and how well that helped us out here. Maybe Mr. Trudeau can let you use his plane. Thanks, Trevor. Have yourself a very good day. <laughs> well, uh, it's going to be nice. like trains, planes, and automobiles. Yeah, I, I, I think I much prefer uh, to see the country from 36,000 feet. Going by yeah. at 800 miles an hour. Wow. Yeah. All mean, right. As long 600 as you're not miles flying. An hour. I, don't, I don't need to fly. <laughs> we'll get Rick to fly us out there. We, you know what? It would be awesome. I was thinking that. We may end up on one of his flights if we fly out of Fredericton or Moncton. Oh, that would be, be so awesome. cool. Can we visit the cockpit? Heck yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can this thing do a loop? Heck yes. Heck yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Uh, All right. 
Well, and uh, if you would like to email the show, just send your email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now, uh, on to iTunes reviews. Um, do we have any uh, recent ones? No, I didn't check. Didn't check. Okay, well, um, if you if you do make your way over to iTunes, please leave us a five-star rating. Uh, we've got 107 five-star reviews so far. A perfect record. Um, if you do leave a review, uh, make sure it's only a five-star review. That's the only kind that uh, that they really allow over there. Yeah, we don't accept anything other than that, really. There's not really any point in having no, anything other than five-star There really reviews. isn't. What's yeah. the point? If you're not happy with us, just don't listen. That's We, we prefer that. Change the canal. <laughs> Change the canal. Yeah. Um, listen to New Shooter Canada. Yeah, there well, you go. Listen to them anyway, but I mean, yeah. listen to them and leave us alone. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, only if you're going to leave us less than five stars. Oh, I mean, oh, oh yeah. before I forget, good night, Kelly. Good night, Kelly. Sweet dreams. Boy, that was creepy. <laughs> All right, fine. I thought I'd leave it because it sounded really creepy just coming off from you two and then just the right. nice You just nice don't want to be named in the lawsuit. <laughs> that, that's basically it. The, the restraining order will only read, uh, you know, warning shot and fur latte. Yeah, exactly. If my if my wife ever does listen to the podcast, uh, that would be a, a moment that would be hard to uh, explain. <laughs> my wife was just in the room. This show is for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> yes, it is. And Creeping Kelly Out is entertaining. It's entertaining to me. Mm-hmm. Probably even to Kevin. Probably. <laughs> if you do uh, leave an iTunes review, make sure to uh, make it funny, and you might hear it on the show if we get around to uh, checking our iTunes feeds. Yeah, we usually check every <laughs> other week. I'm pretty sure I check last week, so I'll check next we, week. At least we check our own. We don't get Stacy to do it for us like other right. shows. Right, yeah. Mostly because I don't trust Stacy with her password, but you know, whatever. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, Stacy. Thanks again for the rifle sling that Trevor still has, hasn't given to me. I'm looking at it right now. It's ah, it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shout outs. Yes, I've got one to Tom Bryant. He's he's the the fine gentleman who sent me the Canadian Uzi uh, a while ago, and he he knows of my affinity for the good Dr Pepper, and he sent me some Dr Pepper flavored Hubba Bubba bubble gum. And also some Dr. Pepper flavored licorice. So the Dr. Pepper licorice is actually, it's pretty good. It's not bad. And I'm not going to comment on the hubba bubba bubble gum. Because <laughs> if, if you can't say something nice, then you don't say nothing at all. It's, let's just say it's interesting. It doesn't quite taste like Dr. Pepper so much as dirty socks. But There you go. <laughs> but I thank him nonetheless for the gesture because it's awesome. I just like having it. I, I'm just going to leave a couple of unopened packages laying around. Go, oh, yeah, I got Dr. Pepper bubblegum. You want some? And then, like, fool unsuspecting people into trying it. It tastes awesome. You should have some. You can taste the fizz. And then, then we're going downhill, aren't we? All right, Trevor, you got we're some shout-outs? Yeah, I got some shout-outs <laughs> to... Uh, Paul Alman. Paul Alman is an Ipswich shooter from Ontario, buddy of Chris Babes, who's going to be attending SummerSlam. And I just found out through uh, Facebook conversation tonight that he's been listening uh, all all along. I had no idea. So yeah, yeah. There you go. People actually listen. So hey, Paul, thanks for listening. People man. actually listen. Yeah. Well, a couple yeah. of them do. One or two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But given the amount of people who listen, I should never be surprised when I come across one. But right. Here we are. Here we are. Color me surprised, Paul. <laughs> And what color would that be? And I recommended a book that he already read, so, yeah. Any other shout-outs? Huh? No, I'm good. 
Awesome. Well, uh, if you'd like to, uh, check us out on the Crusader Podcast Network and check out the other podcasts on that network as well. There, you can see those at crusaderpodcasts.com. Uh, we'd encourage you to join any or all of our National Firearms Associations. It's important to support them. Uh, Trevor, the... Uh, Canadian I, I, Coalition for Firearms Rights? I was trying to remember CCFR, right? Yeah. Are, 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 are they taking memberships yet? Soon. Very soon. Okay, yep. soon. So watch for that one soon. Um, check us out on Gun Owners of Canada. We've got a, a forum over there where you can check out our posts and uh, comment on them. Uh, like us on Facebook. We're at 1,287 uh, likes on Facebook. And we've got 46 thumbs up and counting. Um, and uh, go F yourself, San Diego? Question mark? Re- Really? <laughs> <laughs> the color is draining uh, from my face right now. You don't understand the level of anger I've just achieved. There's a, there's a new level here. I don't even know. I don't even have a name for what you just did. <laughs> Unbelievable. Holy jeez. Listen, you're not freaking Ron Burgundy. If there's going to be any, any lines spewed from the movie Anchorman, it will be done by me. I, I can't believe what just happened, Matthew. I, I like him. He's great. Oh, my God. Look oh, at the vein pop. It hurts. What does San Diego mean, anyway? It means a whale's vagina. I'm pretty sure it means St. Diego. Well, I agree to disagree, then. Good night, everyone. <laughs> so if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now, go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun. Oh, that pulled it off well. <laughs> that, that wrapped it up nice. <laughs> Just with a bow on top. <sighs> well, as much as I'd like to hang out with you guys, I have to jump on another podcast. I've been uh, I've been recruited to go on uh, the uh, squirrels. Oh, cool! And it started like five minutes ago. Then. All right, then. Okay. I just hung up on him. <laughs> <laughs>